everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we are living large with blue whales. Plus, friend of the show Judith joins us for a fun flipper fact and a whaley great tale. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. So we're finally talking about blue whales, guys. Yay! 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 Thoughts, feelings, how do each of you feel generally about blue whales comparatively to our love for all cetaceans? Anything that really kind of like sticks out for you about your either knowledge or love of blue whales thus far in your lives? I love blue whales. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like they've always been so elusive because it's one of those things of they were so endangered when it was starting to like seep into my brain when I was mm-hmm. little and I was like, oh, I'm never going to get to see them. And then when I finally started learning about them, I was confused because I was like, I thought these were extinct. <laughs> um, yeah. And now I'm just like, now they're out there and I want to see them and we've tried and other people we know to see them and I'm jealous. Yep. Um, but in a positive way. <laughs> um, Sure. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like Lindsay said, we have not seen blue whales. Um, But I do have a favorite blue whale memory um, of the three of us in New York being at the Natural History Museum. And there, if you've never been in their ocean exhibit, there's like this, you come down this staircase and hanging from the ceiling is a life-size model of a blue whale. And you can like sit or lie and then get yelled at by the security people um underneath it but we definitely we were there on a pretty quiet day the first time we went and we lay under the blue whale and just like oh had feelings and we're together but also having individual feelings it was great it's like one of my favorite favorite moments nicole what are your thoughts and feelings about i feel i feel the same i love blue whales my name is nicole i love blue whales and i want very very much to see one one day it is the center of my cetacean bingo card mm-hmm. which is a real thing that i've made <laughs> um with and it's not really just cetaceans but like i could have one for cetaceans and one for just marine life that i want to see in the ocean but the pièce de résistance is definitely seeing the blue whale sarah can you hit us with the fast facts about blue whales sure the blue whales or balenoptera musculus okay Things about blue whales. Number one, they are big. <gasps> Hopefully this is not a surprise Wait, for you. The big blue whale is big? Is it also blue? Ish. Uh, ish. <laughs> yes. Ish. <laughs> um, the International Whaling Commission, their whaling database, records 88 individuals longer than 30 meters, including one up to 33 meters, which is insane. Yep. There are some problems with how those measurements were made. Yeah, because this comes from whaling records and there's like some inconsistency about how, like what the start and the end of a whale is. So the official way to measure is from the tip of the rostrum or the snout to the notch in the tail, not the tips of the tails, which I think is probably where the confusion might have come in. The longest, so the longest scientifically measured, not whaling measured individual blue whale was 98 feet or 29.9 meters long. Hydrodynamic models though suggest that a blue whale like physically couldn't exceed about 33 meters or 108 feet just because of metabolics and energy constraints and like probably pumping enough blood and 
blood flow and metabolism to support a body that's longer than 33 meters long. But yes, they are very big. So roughly like 30 meters is like as big as they get, roughly. Uh, female blue whales are larger than males. In the Northern Hemisphere, the males weigh an average of 100 tons or 200,000 pounds. And the females are a little bit bigger, about 112 tons or 224,000 pounds. So big. In So big. I know, like you can't even ex- like figure out how big that is. In the Antarctic, um, they're a little bit bigger, where the males are about 111 tons and the females are 130 tons or 260,000 pounds. So big. Can I also just take this moment to say that when first learning about blue whales being, you know, the biggest and they're bigger than any dinosaur and that's like one of the reasons they stand out so much. I'm curious for you too, because anytime I think about size, I always think length. I do not think weight. Um, And in science, more often than not, it's the opposite. Something being the biggest means that it's the heaviest, which is why like when I learned about lion's mane's jellies and the fact that sometimes their Mm. tentacles are like 200 meters long. I don't actually, I don't have the stats in front of me, so I don't know if that's true, listeners, but like the length of the tentacles of a lion's mane jelly are actually longer than a blue whale. And I was like, but wait, blue whales are the largest that's ever lived. I don't understand. I think a lot of that is because length is easy to picture. Mm -hmm. You're easier to picture, right? Like you can think like 30 meters. Okay, that's like a third of a hundred meter thing it's like a little bit it's like more than half of a 50 meter pool in length right so you're not really thinking about the three-dimensionalness of that you just think in one size but like picturing 260,000 pounds like that's not as easy to yeah i have no reference i don't understand weight at all ever so no no no. it's just very heavy they're very big yeah very heavy and very big um as you might expect for such a large animal they have gigantic hearts the largest heart that has ever been weighed, obviously from a stranded, no longer alive blue whale, was 0.1985 tons or 397 pounds. The largest known in any animal, which is not surprising. But notably, not either as big lengthwise or weightwise as a Volkswagen Beetle, which if you yes. remember from listeners from our past mailbag episodes, we cracked oh, yeah. that fact. Yep, we myth-busted it. Bus- yep. Busted that myth. We busted that myth. <laughs> They are yes. golf cart size. <laughs> yes. Ish. 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 Yeah. That was definitely one of those things that like, yeah, I think we talked about in that episode. Like you grow up just to like you, somebody mentioned it once. And so you assume it's mm-hmm. true because it sounds it sounds right. I don't know. Despite being this large, they primarily eat krill, which are teeny tiny. They can consume 35,000 to nearly 2 million kilojoules or about 480,000 kilocalories in one mouthful of krill. One mouthful. That's not per day. That's one mouthful. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> this this one mouthful, though, can provide 240 times more energy than they use in a single lunge. The energetic models have estimated that the daily prey biomass requirement for an average size blue whale is around like 1,200 kilograms of krill. 1,200 kilograms of krill. We'll link the article there because it's pretty cool. So that's how much they need to eat just to like do their normal stuff. Like that's that's not doing anything crazy like nursing babies. Yep. Uh, blue whales can be found in all of our planet's oceans except for the Arctic. They are usually found swimming alone or in groups of two to four. But sometimes in areas where there's lots of food available, they will come together into transient groups 
for feeding. So they're not really like a social group. They're just all there eating the same, eating at the same buffet. Blue whales, they don't really exhibit any well-defined social structure that we know of, other than the mother-calf bond, which lasts only from birth until weaning. Uh, Blue whales reach sexual maturity at about 10 years old. Gestation lasts 10 to 12 months, which, if you've listened to our reproduction episode, uh, is short compared to many other species Mm -hmm. of cetacean. Fully grown female uh, blue whales can give birth roughly every two to three years, but this isn't very well well studied or well understood, um, which is kind of the case for lots of things that we're going to talk about with blue whales, other than their size and like their feeding behavior and we've you know examined their skeletal structure and that kind of thing but in terms of behavior and socializing and things like that less well understood they are classed as endangered and their population is somewhere between 10,000 and 25,000 so better than they were definitely when we were kids but uh, still on the road to recovery mm-hmm. they're probably not studied very well because they come up and everyone's like oh my gosh <laughs> It's so yes. big, and then they forget to do all of their science. <laughs> well, and I think we're just also at that point of, like, we're still trying to understand the super basic yeah, things totally. of, like, where to consistently where to find, find them. them. And, yeah, yeah. When you, first yeah. you got to find them, then you got to ID them, yeah. then you got to do, then yes. you can do the science. And that's the part mm-hmm. that I always, I always got really intrigued about as a kid learning about blue whales. I'm like, but they're so big. So if they're yeah, so like, big and we can't find them, how big is the ocean yeah totally like they're they're gigantic and still hard to find but also they because they're so big like to live in pretty deep waters Mm -hmm. far away from shore Mm -hmm. usually um lindsay do you want to talk about the different subspecies and populations of blue whales because it's complicated so there are nine different subspecies or populations um there's the northern subspecies which is the east northern pacific population uh, they migrate annually to the more North American West Coast in the summer and then and the fall to feed. And then they migrate in the winter to their breeding grounds in the Gulf of California and Costa Rica in the eastern tropical Pacific. Uh, acoustic recordings suggest that some individuals may remain on their feeding grounds or on their breeding grounds year round. Um, more science. We need to do more science. Another northern, northern subspecies is the Western and Central North Pacific population. Um, we don't know much about the migration of this population. Uh, they are in, found in the feeding grounds in the Gulf of Alaska in the summer and, to, and also to the, in the waters off of Vancouver Island. These are the ones we could see, maybe. 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 <laughs> maybe. Very <laughs> unlikely. Um, in the winter, they migrate to low-latitude waters, including Hawaii. Acoustic data suggests that some also... Um, some of these ones may also remain, remain on their feeding ground year-round. The other northern subspecies is the North Atlantic population. Not surprising if you were <laughs> keeping track of how oceans work <laughs> in the northern hemisphere. Um, little is known about their winter distribution and their migration patterns. In the western North Atlantic, blue whales migrate to the Gulf of St. Lawrence in the summer to feed, and some may remain there all year. Um, sightings in the Gulf of St. Lawrence peak usually around late August, early September. So maybe we should go to the Gulf of St. Lawrence and see some beluga whales. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, (laughs) Tagging suggests that blue whales in this population, in the subspecies, migrate as far south as the Mid-Atlantic Bight, which is North uh, Carolina, Delaware, South Carolina. Those areas, which we now all know much better than we did two (laughs) weeks ago. (laughs) So many maps. 
Um, and in the eastern North Atlantic, blue whales have been docu- documented south of the Azores and off of Northwest Africa in the winter and all the way up in Iceland in the summer. That's a long It's really long. Way. It's really long. The Antarctic subspecies is distributed around Antarctica uh, and south of the Antarctic Convergence Zone in the summer, and then they move into the mid and low latitude habitats in the fall and winter. Their calls have been acoustically detected in the eastern trof- tropical Pacific from May to- through September, and most migrate annually. However, again, there have been uh, suggestions acoustically that some may re- remain in the Antarctic all year round. The North Indian Ocean subspecies probably are in central northern Indian Ocean year-round. Acoustic evidence of the Sri Lanka song types suggest some travel to sub-Antarctic waters off around Crozet Island in late summer and early fall. Recent evidence of there's a new song song type off Oman and northwest Madagascar. Uh, have noted the absence of the Sri Lanka song type there, which is uh, interesting. And so this suggests that there might be a separate northwestern Indian Ocean population making Oman calls and a central Indian Ocean population making Sri Lanka calls. So, again, more science. More science. I'll go to Sri Lanka. Okay, me too. The Chilean population is found in the west coast of South America in the summer and fall. These whales migrate to lower latitude areas including the Galapagos and the eastern tropical Pacific. Acoustic recordings of the Chilean population found in Chile um, have found that in the eastern tropical Pacific, they may also, some may stay year round, but they are generally found in the eastern tropical Pacific in June and are infrequently detected from September to March, so summer. Again, as I've been reading this, I've all been realizing we've been using summer and fall and winter in the northern hemisphere. True. Tones? I don't even know how to... You know what I, you guys know what we mean. <laughs> Summer and fall here is what we're talking about, even though when we're talking about Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's okay. my fault for writing the notes with a northern hemisphere brain. Gotta flip it upside down. Yep. This is probably a good time to note that in our sperm whale episode, we noted that there was the sperm whale and then also the pygmy sperm whale and the dwarf sperm whale. And at that point, we noted that the pygmy sperm whale and the dwarf sperm whale really don't have very much at all to do with sperm whales other than sharing the name and they would get a new episode, which will still happen. Don't worry, sperm whale fans. However, there is a subspecies of blue whale known as the pygmy blue whale. It does actually have much more to do with blue whales <laughs> than pygmy or dwarf sperm whales have to do with sperm whales. And uh, we're kind of lumping them together for this episode. No, you know, shade meant to pygmy blue whales. Just basically, they're just less big. They're yeah. still very, very big. They're still <laughs> over 20 meters long. They're just less big than the yeah. true blue whale. The end. <laughs> so we have a Western Australia, Indonesia population. This population feeds off Perth Canyon off Western Australia. We have 7,000 stories of them from our <laughs> friends at Whale Watch Western <laughs> Australia. That was an over exaggeration, but we still have a lot. Go check them out. Um, then they feed there in the summer, <clears throat> Northern Hemisphere summer, and migrate to the waters off Indonesia to breathe in the to breed. In the winter, they acoustic data may indicate that they are distributed in the sub-Antarctic waters of the Southern Indian Ocean in the summer and fall, including the Crozats Islands and Amsterdam Island. 
Like the Madagascar population, this population distribution remains north of the 52nd parallel. Speaking of the Madagascar population, the Madagascar population of the pygmy subspecies is found in Madagascar. They're found through the Mozambique Channel to the Crozet Islands and Prince Edward Islands, because that's not confusing, in the spring and the summer with a nearly continuous distribution to sub-Antarctic waters in the Indian Ocean in the summer. And in the fall, they are in the Madagascar Plateau, and they're sighted there in December in substantial numbers recently. The last one is the Eastern Australia New Zealand population. Data from strandings, sightings, and acoustic detection suggest that this population is present in New Zealand nearly year-round. They've also been detected as far south as the 52nd parallel in the summer, and in the Tasman Sea and the Lao Basin near Tonga in the winter. And they likely range farther afield in the southwestern Pacific. Um, for all of these migrations, it's thought that memory actually plays a previously underappreciated role in driving these migratory movements, um, especially in these long-lived species in the marine systems, and suggests that these animals may struggle to respond to rapid deviations from historical mean, from historical means environmental conditions. That's a fancy way to say that as we change the ocean, it gets harder for these animals to find the landmarks that they know along their roots um, because they're changing because of the stuff that we're doing and then they won't be able to go somewhere and they won't be able to eat. And they don't have smartphones <laughs> to plot yeah. the new Google map update. And they're navigating really by like their memory of a place and their like communal memory of a place, not by like magnet no. magnetic attract yeah. like magnetic things or like stars or things that they have thought that other other animals na navigate mm -hmm. by yeah it's much harder in marine systems obviously if you think about it then um so clearly there are some pretty incredible long-term studies being done with blue whales uh, despite the fact that they aren't always easy to find most of the studies that are being published in the last five years or so are focused on two main schools of study, either sound tracking, so looking at their songs, which are very similar to humpback songs, uh, and we talked a little bit about that in our humpback song episode, um, and the, you know, evolution of those songs and the way that those songs are passed on. And then the other school of like primary study for blue whales these days is their migration patterns, which is why Lindsay had such a large chunk of content to share based on their populations, because the migrations are really what dictate, again, very similar to humpback whales, the migration routes are, and the sort of fidelity to migration routes is really what dictates the different populations and potentially subspecies. I don't need to go on that rant again in this episode <laughs> of the blue whales. Um, one of the coolest things about blue whales, regardless of which population you're talking about, is their song, and not just specifically their song, but any of the vocals they make, because they're also a very vocal species. The thing, though, is that we often can't hear the vocals they're making, because though they are loud, they're thought to be not just one of the largest animals on Earth, but also not one of, not just the largest animal on Earth, but also one of the loudest. However, their sounds are produced at a, such a low frequency that the human ear, without additional technology aiding it, can't usually hear it. Um, so that's pretty cool and crazy and just adds that other layer to just how noisy naturally the oceans are but how important that noise is to all of the animals who live there 
And because it's produced at such a loud frequency, not only, or sorry, because it's produced at such a low frequency, not only are blue whale sounds very loud, they also can travel really, really far. Low frequency sounds in water can travel much farther than high frequency sounds. This would be true on land as well, but water just aids in the travel of any sound. So it's thought that blue whale sounds can actually travel over hundreds, plural, of kilometers. So Blue Whale Joe can tell Blue Whale Jane what he's thinking about where the best krill is for dinner <laughs> over potentially 150, 200 kilometers away. And even though they're really big, that's still really, really far. Um, another thing not related to sound at all, but just that I think is kind of a cool and also like really brain bending thing to think about blue whales is that they themselves though they are very very large can actually travel very quickly so blue whales can travel at speeds up to 50 kilometers an hour what that's something i'd really like to see <laughs> so so crazy um so the first organization to ever carry out a long-term study of blue whales is the Mingan Island Cetacean Study or Mikes and they have since studied blue whales throughout the St. Lawrence, the Sea of Cortez, Iceland, Greenland and the Azores. They have compiled extensive blue whale photo ID catalogs for the northwest and northeast Atlantic populations as well as within the Sea of Cortez and they are the curator of the North Atlantic catalog, which contains 525 individually identified blue whales. Are we doing just flukes or do they have um, dorsal ridges or anything that are identifying? They're looking at kind of a combo. Fluke is the primary, but dorsal, because they don't necessarily fluke as reliably mm. as humpbacks do, um, that's one of the reasons why, despite there being a lot of study going on with blue whales, it's actually pretty hard to ID them. Yeah. You know, another study I don't have in the show notes here, but that I was looking at for one of the smaller Pacific populations, they've only been able to ID 88 individuals in that population. Um, and they've been trying to do that work for over 10 years. Yeah. Um, so it's a combo of flukes and any sometimes dorsal, uh, they do have a small dorsal fin, blue whales do, and also just any other identifying characteristics. Cool. So 525 have been identified in the Northwest Atlantic catalog. 700 have been cataloged for the Northeast Atlantic. Um, and new whales are added to the catalog almost every year. So that's the crazy thing is like, it could just be like one new whale got ID'd this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can see the catalogs and all of the other research that the Mingan Island Station Study I wanted to pluralize that the Mingan Island Cetacean Studies Society. I'm not sure if there's a society, but that that that's that, that Mike's group has been working on uh, at a website that we are going to post in our show notes. They are doing some really, really wonderful research. Another thing that I found that I'm going to share in the show notes here was just one very specifically cool article exploring the song changes to so that other main field of study uh, about the southeastern Pacific population and 
it walks you through, first of all, it's an entire article. I love sharing entire articles when they're available for free. Not that I don't want to support science <laughs> and support journals with my money, um, but that's not something that everybody can do. So whenever we find fully available articles, want to share them. And this article has some really incredible visuals uh, that hopefully Lindsay's going to be able to share on social as well. Um, just tracing the evolution of song pattern changes in the Southeast Pacific population. So definitely check that out. Now, as we've mentioned, blue whales are endangered animals and they were primarily like most of the large whales. They became endangered due to the whaling industry, which now is not so much a problem for blue whales. The current major threats to their recovery are entrapment. So getting entangled in fishing gear, fishing lines, um, it, that can be quite heavy for a whale to try and pull through the ocean. And it's also not something that's easy to shake off as anyone who's ever spent any amount of time around fishing line for a fishing rod knows. You can get that tangled up into knots very easily. And so ultimately what happens is that they drown because it's so heavy. They don't have the energy requirements to be able to get up to the surface and breathe. The other large threat to blue whales is vessel strikes. So even though they themselves are very, very big and can travel quickly, they're not traveling at 50 kilometers an hour all the time. And they're also not at the surface all the time. So because they're such a large animal, they can't, you know, turn on a dime. They can't get away from a fast moving large ship very easily. And vessel strikes, unfortunately, are thought to be probably the number one threat facing blue whales. Thankfully, though, a a really incredible study has been done by Dr. Brianna Adams at NOAA. She's an ecologist in the Fisheries Southwest Center. And she tracked and tagged 100 blue whales over a very long period of time and compared their movements to the daily ocean conditions, so currents and any other sort of oceanographic measure that could be taken. And what she found is that ocean conditions affected the whales' travels in extremely predictable ways. So... Dr. Abrams is taking her research one step further than just publishing a really cool article. Her colleagues and herself are now developing an app that is going to allow ship managers and shipping lane developers to predict the location of blue whales as they transit along the west coast of North America. The app will also potentially be available to the public so that public management teams could make recommendations on vessel slowdowns and also just try to recommend alternate shipping lanes. And, you know, for areas where there's sort of constantly thought to be traffic, just create new shipping lanes to avoid those areas completely. This will not obviously solve the problem of the individual blue whale that kind of like goes off on a scouting expedition. But using this kind of like real science-based observation over a longitudinal study to affect the ultimate prediction of how we move our man-made ships around in the ocean to better serve whales is so cool. Yeah. So you can read all about that in the article that we will share in our show notes. It's not available yet, though. So don't go thinking that you can go find blue whales because of the zap. That's also probably not the point. No, that's not the point. <laughs> So that's the intro to blue whales 
for us today. We discovered some other really cool studies about blue whales, but we don't want to talk your ear off in today's episode as much as you may be in for that. <laughs> so we are going to be looking for opportunities to share more of the science that we've discovered about blue whales and all of the cetaceans that we love in coming episodes. So keep an ear out for that. And one of the ways that we are able to do that is because of the incredible support of our patrons. So thank you so, so, so much to all of you who support us on Patreon.com. Patreon is a website where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support your favorite creators or you can support us. Uh, we are at Patreon.com slash WhaleTales. And Lindsay's going to tell you a bit about what you might get in exchange for your financial support. So we have three different tiers uh, on our Patreon that you can support us at. Uh, we have a $1 a month where you get a merch discount and a weekly newsletter about news and updates about what's happening with us and our website, as well as you get to vote in our Fun Flipper Fact polls that we have when we um, before new episodes. We also have a $5 a month um, tier where you get all of that stuff but a bigger merch discount and you get a watercolor logo postcard painted by our very own Nicole. Um, at the $10 a month level, you get all of those things plus another watercolor humpback painted also by Nicole. And you one day I'm going to switch it up. It's not going to be a humpback. Anymore. They're just so much fun to paint. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you also get the opportunity to produce an entire fun for perfect episode um, section of our podcast. Uh, we've had a couple of them so far. The last one was Colin, which was just last month, right? What is time? Yeah. Nobody knows. Um, <laughs> so they are lots of different things that you can get. And you also get our undying support and gratitude. So much. So we really, really can't stress enough how much the support of all of our listeners and especially our patrons means to us this podcast this website everything that we do at whale tales it's a labor of love for all three of us uh, we all have quote unquote real jobs to pay our bills so <laughs> any of the time that we spend on this is in addition to all of the other things that we have going on and knowing that it means something to you really means something to us so thank you so much and if you aren't able to contribute financially to the support of whale tales we understand Thank you for listening at all. Uh, one of the other ways that you can support us is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting platform you use to listen to us that can help other people find our podcast. You can also share it with your other cetacean loving friends, which like, why haven't you done that already? Have more things to talk about with your other cetacean loving friends um and most importantly let us know what you think of the podcast we can't stress enough how much it means to us whenever we get a comment on any of the postings that we have about our podcast or an email comes into our inbox it makes our day we're so little kid excited about it so please let us know what you think of the podcast all right you know what time it is i do it's time for fun flavor fact fun flavor fact with judith today wow there was clapping <laughs> so we have a fun flipper fact and a story from our friend Judith Scott. She is an amazing whale watching naturalist who travels basically around the globe when globe travel is a thing that is possible if you're not a baleen whale. Um, <laughs> she has stories from Iceland and Baja and the east coast of the States and South Africa and it's just like everywhere, basically everywhere. And it's amazing. And you can look at all of her stories on our website. We'll have a link about it in the show notes. Um, but now she's going to share one of her favorite fun flipper facts about blue whales, as well as 
one of her first encounters with a blue whale. So hi everybody, my name's Judith and I've been asked to give a fun flipper fact for blue whales, which I have to say I have found incredibly difficult because there are so many amazing facts and figures about blue whales, the normal ones that we always give out on the whale watching boats when we see them like the heart is as big as a small car, the tongue weighs as much as an elephant, and you can swim through the blood vessels, all those amazing pictures that we try to paint to give people an idea of how big blue whales really are when you don't see much of the whale usually at the surface. But I've decided to go with my fact to do with weight. I think I'm a little bit obsessed about weight at the moment uh, while we're all not possibly being as active as we normally are. And I also have an obsession with weight because usually I'm carrying a myriad of cameras around the world to follow whales around. So I was reading up about baby blue whales, how huge they are, around seven meters long at birth and weighing around three tons already in weight. And then the really cool thing, we all know that whales put on massive amounts of weight really quickly and grow really fast, baby whales, at least for the first year of their life while they're with their mum. I suppose this is to do more with baleen whales than the toothed whales. But while mum is feeding that baby whale, all of those hundreds of litres of fat-rich milk every day. It's said that a baby blue whale will put on around four kilograms or nine pounds of weight per hour, and that equates to around 100 kilograms or about 200 pounds of weight a day, which I think is my favorite fact uh, about blue whales today. And I hope you agree with me. That is a pretty incredible amount of weight. And I have heard them say that you can almost watch a baby blue whale grow. They grow so quickly for that first year of life. So that was my fun flipper fact. I hope it's okay. And a little bit about me. My name is Judith Scott. I'm a whale watching guide and I've been working on whale watching boats and doing some research now for around the last 21 years. So quite a long time. Many people sadly have given, have given up uh, before that time because it's very, very hard to keep these this job going, uh, moving around with the world, seasonal work, and also not the best paid work. But I've kept going because I wanted to work with whales since I was six years old and I saw a picture of one on TV. So I've whale watched off every continent and done thousands of trips. And for me, um, blue whales were always one of the holy grail to see, of course, the largest animal that's ever lived. When I used to blow out the candles on my birthday cake when I was a little kid and stir the Christmas pudding, uh, my wish was always to see a blue whale. And that happened for me the first time off Western Australia. I was working on a research boat uh, called the Odyssey. We were actually studying sperm whales, but we saw a blue whale in the Perth Canyon off Western Australia. And I vividly remember going to bed that night and just lying there thinking, what am I going to wish for now? I have achieved one of my childhood dreams. So 
I've been lucky enough to see blue whales all over the world, really, the Pacific, the Atlantic and the Indian Oceans. One of the questions we get asked so often on the whale watching boat is where is the best place to see blue whales? And there are a lot of places that you have a chance of seeing them, but not that many places where they really are the main species that you are most likely to see. They kind of tend to show up now and again, but I do think one of the best places has to be the little town of Loreto in Baja, California in Mexico is a fantastic place to see blue whales with the desert in the background. Sri Lanka is also an up and coming place to see blue whales that people are all talking about. Unfortunately, I think whale watching regulation is very much needed in Sri Lanka to ensure that the blue whales are going to stay and that they're not disturbing those whales. But Sri Lanka could undoubtedly have some of the best blue whale whale watching in the world. And then for me, I've been trying to think of one of my greatest moments with blue whales. And you know, with blue whales, they don't tend to do a lot. They're not quite as showy as humpbacks um, and orcas and other whales. They don't jump out of the water. They don't tend to be particularly curious, although they will occasionally approach boats. They tend to just be cool, calm and collected and huge, the largest animal. So it really is the idea and the thought that you are seeing the largest animal in the world that makes seeing a blue whale so special and so exciting rather than the behavior that they tend to display. And of course, we know that they are still critically endangered, which makes it all the more special to see them. So the one moment that I've chosen to share about blue whales was uh, when I was working in Massachusetts of uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts for many years. The main species we see there are usually humpbacks. There's also fin whales, minke whales and some dolphins around. But we got a report one day to say that a blue whale had been seen on Stellwagen Bank. And my friend Cindy, who had done around, I don't know, I think it was about 5,000 whale watches there, had never seen a blue whale before. The captain of the boat had done more than 10,000 whale watches there and he had never seen a blue whale either. So we ran down to the boat. We did, got the passengers on as quickly as we possibly could and we headed out to where there was a report from another boat that there was a blue whale out there and we found it and it was i had seen blue whales before but most other people i don't think anyone else on the boat had and cindy just cried into the pa she was so thrilled and so excited and I think it's just so amazing to think that krill is not a normal species uh, of or not a normal bait that we see off Massachusetts. And this year was kind of exceptional. There was a krill bloom around Stellwagen Bank and blue whales had found it. And it made me think, how on earth do they know it's there when it's not normal to have krill there? Blue whales are usually found hundreds of miles away in the St. Lawrence Estuary Moor in Canada. But when we had krill on the bank, somehow the blue whales knew it was there. And in the end, we saw uh, a small number of blue whales that season while the krill was there. And we ended up seeing two that day on the water. And the, one of the best things about it was the passengers got it. Sometimes the passengers on a whale watch boat are kind of like, oh yeah, okay, now take us to the humpbacks. But these guys really got it. They totally understood why this was just one of the most amazing things 
to see. So that's my story about blue whales. Um, thank you very much for letting me join in your podcast and for all the wonderful work that Whale Tales does spreading the word about whales and dolphins all over the world. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I am more jealous than I have mm. ever been, maybe for anything. <laughs> I, I know. Think. <laughs> just... Jealous. Judith, you're so cool. I know. She's so cool. And some her photos are incredible. She's got this amazing uh, triple health spy hop uh, killer whale photo, which I absolutely adore. Um, and she has some blue whale stories on our website of um, just the most amazing flukes, which always gets me of just, you know, blue whales are big. And then you see pictures of their flukes and you're just like, that's ridiculous. They're so big. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Um, so before we wrap up our episode, a little um, call to action to help uh, as we come to the end of the year. So it's the end of November and this time of year is often a time where you might give gifts. For example, it's Christmas, but also all three of us have birthdays in the next month and a bit. Sounded like a weird hint for our listeners, but it's not. Oh, yeah, no, it's not. It's a just it's just life. Um, at this time of year is our gift giving time. Yes. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about um, some ways that you can do sustainable gift giving. As you might have heard, the mailing postal service at this year is a little bit overwhelmed. So you're hopefully thinking about this already and wanted to throw out some ways to make that a little more sustainable. So first thing is buying or gifting something that isn't a physical thing. We've talked about doing experiences mm -hmm. before, I think in a previous sustainable holidays chit chat. <laughs> experiences are a little trickier this year, but digital gifts like eBooks, um, digital downloads, um, for example, like I bought myself some uh, artwork for my wall that was a digital download on Etsy, and then I just had it printed at a local print shop. Um, and then you could just mail them a card or send them a virtual hug. Um, charitable donations, especially if you take the time to find a charity that you think would really uh, align with somebody in your life's um, interests or values, uh, that would be re a really great one. For example, I gave my sister one year um, when she was a new mom, I I gave gave other new mums um, like medical care and Aww. vaccinations in a third world country. So that's always fun. Um, and if you are buying something that is an actual physical thing, like that's also completely valid. Like you don't have to not buy anything physical. Um, but a couple things to keep in mind are to shop locally uh, if you can, um, especially local shops that have online ordering. For example, you could order online and have it delivered um by the store to that person's house. I bought my brother-in-law's birthday present in Ontario completely online. It was a local small store and they, it, the owner of the store actually ended up being the person that did the delivery because that's how small so they were. Cute. And yeah, it was super cute and they were just delightful to deal with over the internet. And then separate from like where you buy it is how you send it. And if you were delivering a present in person, you always have the option of wrapping things in reusable materials like a cloth bag or a piece of cloth or an old sweater. Um, I don't know, that might be a little bit weird, but <laughs> you know what I mean. You know where I'm going with this. You finding a piece of cloth or even buying a piece of cloth and that's part of the present. Um, all kinds of fun things so that no part of your gift ends up in the landfill, if at all possible. Um, if you've got other cool sustainable holiday ideas, uh, feel free to share them because we will definitely uh, re 
post that or whatever the lingo is these days, <laughs> Lindsay. Um, share your cool ideas about how to have a more sustainable yeah. and also COVID safe holiday this year. I cannot share my uh, idea because it is what most of my family is getting for the holidays (laughs) this year. Um, But I will just sort of tease it that if you have a child who is creative and draws on anything and everything all the time, save those throughout the year uh, and see what happens with them. You could use them (laughs) as wrapping paper. That's not giving anything away. But yeah, those are, those are memories that you can look back on fondly and they can also be a really cool and memorable and meaningful sustainable gift option. So I will share a picture of this once the holidays have come and gone and my family who does listen (laughs) to this podcast, hi family, love you, um, (laughs) has received their gifts think that that about brings us to the end of our episode as mentioned earlier we would really really love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any episode so please visit our website whale-tales.org and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line anytime you can also tweet at us directly i am fhg07 sarah is sarah k given no h and nicole is nick fcad c-a-n-n You can also head to our website to subscribe to our podcast. Check out our line of awesome merchandise, mostly designed by our friend Ross. Thanks, Ross. Learn about supporting us and becoming a Patreon. And while you're there, read over 900 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And if you have seen a citation, we would love to add your story to our library. Please click the share link on our site, contact us on social media, whaletales.org, or email us a voice memo just like Judith and tell us all about your incredible encounter. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. We will be back on the third Wednesday of next month with more fun facts and whale trivia. Ooh, I'm so excited, excited about, about next, next month's episode. episode. It's going to be so good. That's all we can say, but we're so excited and all a little bit like fangirly about next month's episode. So stay tuned. And until then, thanks so much and have a whaley great day.